Chapter Twenty Six of the Riders of the Silence by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. She was ready, crouched close to the window of her room, when the signal came. But first, she was not sure, because the sound was as faint as a memory. Moreover, it might have been a freakish whistling in the wind, which rose stronger and stronger. It had piled the thunderclouds higher and higher, and now and again a heavy drop of rain tapped at her window like a thrown pebble. So she waited, and at last heard the whistle a second time, unmistakably clear. In a moment she was hurrying down to the stable, climbed into the saddle, and rode at a cautious trot out among the sand hills. For a time she saw no one and commenced to fear that the whole thing had been a gruesomely real, practical jest. So she stopped her horse and imitated the signal whistle as well as she could. It was repeated immediately behind her, almost in her ear, and she turned to make out the dark form of a tall horseman. "'A bad night for a start,' called Wilbur. "'Do you want to wait till tomorrow?' She could not answer for a moment, the wind whipping against her face while a big drop stung her lips. She said at length, Would a night like this stop Pierre or McGurk? For answer she heard his laughter. Then I'll start. I must never stop for weather. He rode up beside her. This is the start of the finish. What do you mean? Nothing. But somewhere on this ride I've an idea a question will be answered for me. What question? Instead of replying, he said, You've got a slicker on? Yes. Then follow me. We'll gallop into the wind a while and get the horses warmed up. Afterward, we'll take the valley of the old crow and follow it up to the crest of the range. His horse lunged out ahead of hers, and she followed, leaning far forward against the wind that kept her almost breathless. For several minutes they cantered steadily, and before the end of the gallop she was sitting straight up, her heart beating fast, a faint smile on her lips, and the blood running hot in her veins. For the battle was begun, she knew, by that first sharp gallop, and here at the start she felt confident of her strength. When she met Pierre she could force him to turn back with her. Wilbur checked his horse to a trot. They climbed the hill, and just as the rain broke on them, with a rattling gust, they swung into the valley of the old crow. Above them in the sky, the thunder rode, the rain whipped against the rocks, like the rattle of a thousand flying hoofs, and now and again the lightning flashed across the sky. Through that vast accompaniment they moved on in the night straight toward the heart of the mountains, which sprang into sight with every flash of the lightning and seemed toppling almost above them. Yet they were weary miles away, as she knew. By those same flashes she caught glimpses of the face of Wilbur. She hardly knew him. She had seen him always big, gentle, handsome, good-natured, and now he was grown harder, with a stern set of the jaw and a certain square outline of face. It had seemed impossible. Now she began to guess 
how the law could have placed the price upon his head. For he belonged out here with the night and the crash of the storm, with strong lawless things about him. An awe grew in her, and she was filled half with dread and half with curiosity at the thought of facing him, as she must many a time across the campfire. In a way, he was the latter by which she climbed to an understanding of Pierre La Rouge, Red Pierre, for that Pierre, she knew, was to Big Wilbur what Dick himself was to the great mass of law-abiding men. Accident had cut Wilbur adrift, but it was more than accident which started Pierre on the road to outlawry. It was the sheer love of dangerous chance, the glory in fighting other men. This was Pierre. What was the man for whom Pierre hunted? What was McGurk? Not even the description of Wilbur had proved very enlightening. Her thought of him was vague, nebulous, and taking many forms. Sometimes he was tall and dark and stern. Again he was short and heavy and somewhat deformed of body, but always he was everywhere in the night about her. All this she pondered as they began the ride up the valley. But as the long journey continued, and the hours and the miles rode past them, a racking weariness possessed her and numbed her mind. She began to wish desperately for morning, but even morning might not bring an end to the ride. That would be at the will of the outlaw beside her. Finally, only one picture remained to her. It stabbed across the darkness of her mind, the red hair and the keen eyes of Pierre. The storm decreased as they went up the valley. Finally, the wind fell off to a pleasant breeze. And the clouds of the rain broke in the center of the heavens and toppled west in great tumbling masses. In half an hour's time, the sky was clear, and a cold moon looked down upon the blue-black evergreens, shining faintly with the wet, and on the dead black of the mountains. For the first time in all that ride, her companion spoke. In an hour, the gray will begin in the east. Suppose we camp here, eat, get a bit of sleep, and then start again. As if she had waited for permission, fighting against her weariness, she now let down the bars of her will, and a tingling stupor swept over her body and broke in hot, numbing waves on her brain. Whatever you say, I'm afraid I couldn't ride much further tonight. Look up at me. She raised her head. No, you're all in. But you've made a game ride. I never dreamed there was so much iron in you. We'll make our fire just inside the trees and carry water up from the river, huh? A scanty growth of evergreens walked over the hills and skirted along the valley, leaving a broad sandy waste in the center where the river, at times, swelled with melted snow or sudden rains, rushed over the lower valley in a broad, muddy flood. At the edge of the forest he picketed the horses in a little open space carpeted with wet, dead grass. It took him some time to find dry wood, so he wrapped her in blankets and left her sitting on a saddle. As the chill left her body, she began to grow delightfully drowsy and vaguely she heard the crack of his hatchet. He had found a rotten stump and was tearing off the wet outer bark 
to get at the dry wood within. After that, it was only a moment before a fire sputtered feebly and smoked at her feet. She watched it, only half-conscious in her utter weariness, and seeing dimly the hollow-eyed face of the man who stooped above the blaze. Now it grew quickly and increased to a sharp-pointed pyramid of red flame. The bright sparks showered up, crackling and snapping, and when she followed their flight, she saw the darkly nodding tops of the evergreens above her. With the fire well under way, he took the coffee pot to get water from the river and left her to fry the bacon. The fumes of the frying meat wakened her at once, and she brushed even the thought of her exhaustion from her mind. She was hungry, ravenously hungry. So she tended the baking slices with care, until they grew brown and crisped and curled at the edges. After that, she removed the pan from the fire, and it was not until then that she began to wonder why Wilbur was so long in returning with the water. The bacon grew cold. She heated it again, and was mightily tempted to taste one piece of it, but restrained herself to wait for Dick. Still he did not come. She stood up and called, her high voice rising sharp and small through the trees. It seemed that some sound answered, so she smiled and sat down. Ten minutes passed, and he was still gone. A cold alarm swept over her at that. She dropped the pan and ran out from the trees. Everywhere was the bright moonlight over the wet rocks and sand and glimmering on the slow tide of the river but nowhere could she see Wilbur, or a form that looked like a man. Then the moonlight glinted on something at the edge of the river. She ran to it and found the coffee can, half in the water and partially filled with sand. A wild temptation to scream came over her, but the tight muscles of her throat let out no sound. But if Wilbur were not here, where had he gone? He could not have vanished into thin air. The ripple of the water washing on the sand replied, yes, that current might have rolled his body away. To shut out the grim sight of the river she turned. Stretched across the ground at her feet, she saw clearly the impression of a body in the moist sand. End of chapter 26